What I'm going to do this morning is very, 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 very different. Um, I haven't addressed this subject in decades, which probably isn't a good thing. Uh, just so you know, what we want to do is I'm going to do two or three messages on this subject, and then I hope on September 11 we will start a verse-by-verse a study through the book of First John, uh, an amazing book, and um, so we're going to do that. That's what I prefer to do, but from time to time, um, we address other matters, and this morning is that. So, Ephesians 6, verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Notice not our might, his might, because apart from God, in and of ourselves, we cannot compete against Satan. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Christians are instructed to wear a set of spiritual armor consisting of six separate pieces, and that armor is itemized in verses 15 through 17. That armor is comparable to an ancient Roman soldier's armor and should be part of a Christian's sustained wardrobe so that he can better defend himself against Satan. Verse 11 continues, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles is from a Greek word meaning schemes, schemes. And that word is sometimes translated as strategies and tactics. That word wiles implies cleverness and cunningness and deceitfulness. Revelation 12 and verse 9 reads that Satan deceives the entire world. Satan deceives through concealing, counterfeiting, misleading, and distorting. He is a convincing fraud and liar. And he wants us to believe that he is something he's not. Satan's schemes are propagated through this secular world system that he rules over using his massive demonic network. God wants us to understand Satan's strategies and tactics and schemes so that we aren't deceived and so we can better understand the enemy of our souls. Edward Alexander Crowley was born on October the 12th, 1875. He ultimately modified his name to Alexander Crowley and to his devotees he became known as the Beast 666. 666 is the name and number of the prophetic Antichrist mentioned in Revelation chapter 13. Mr. Crowley was considered an influential occultist and ceremonial magician, in addition to being an author, published poet, and social critic. Crowley was also a hedonist, a bisexual, a severe drug addict, a racist, a proponent of Nazism, Leninism, and Marxism. He is considered the father of modern Satanism and a notorious God-hater. It's interesting that Crowley's parents were both committed Christians and members of a small evangelical denomination called the Plymouth Brethren. I believe Tony was raised in that denomination, as were Gene and Dot Ezell. His father actually became an itinerant preacher after receiving a sizable inheritance, but then he died from tongue cancer when Alistair was just 11. 
Alistair then inherited his father's fortune and over time used those monies to finance a career in Satanism. He started torturing and killing animals at age 12. And he soon indulged in all sorts of evilness, including sexual magic, channeling demonic spirits, taking heroin, opium, hashish, cannabis, morphine, and cocaine, in addition to alcohol. He actually died a wasted heroin addict. He had a strong addiction to the most perverted sexual practices that included bestiality. He also had a profound negative effect on people close to him. His first wife died in a mental institution. His second wife also died insane. Five of his mistresses committed suicide. And his numerous concubines, and concubines are sexual slaves, ended up as alcoholics, drug addicts, or hospitalized in mental institutions. It's interesting, both he and his last doctor died just 24 hours apart. And newspapers claimed that his doctor, Dr. Thomas, had refused to continue his opiate prescription, so Crowley had put a curse on him. He authored a book called The Book of the Law. And in that publication, he summed up his entire philosophy in one sentence, and that is, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Alexander also spelled magic using K at the end, M-A-G-I-C-K. He wasn't the first to do that. It was first used in the mid-17th century, but he's the one that made that spelling popular in the dark arts. Using the letter K at the end of the word magic separates stage magic or performance magic, such as Penn and Teller and David Copperfield. It separates illusionist and white magic from black magic or dark magic, meaning occultic and satanic manipulated rituals and spells. During his lifetime, the press denounced Alistair as, quote, the wickedest man on earth. The wickedest man on earth. He died December 1, 1947. But unfortunately, he hasn't been forgotten. The founder of Scientology was L. Ron Hubbard. Mr. Hubbard devoted himself to Aleister Crowley's teachings. And he argued that Scientology started on December 1, 1947, the exact date Crowley died. Some of us baby boomers are going to recognize some of these names. Guitarist Jimmy Page from the rock group Led Zeppelin was so enamored with Aleister Crowley that he bought his former house on Loch Ness in Scotland. His group's most famous song was called Stairway to Heaven, and it contains a reference to May Queen, which is the name of a heinous poem from Crowley himself. Ozzy Osbourne, who is a definite piece of work, called Crowley a phenomena of his time. Osborne even sang a song dedicated to him called Mr. Crowley. In 2005, Mr. Osborne released a box set of four CDs called Prince of Darkness. Osborne was the former lead singer of the heavy metal band Black Sabbath. And during that time, he adopted the name Prince of Darkness. 
That's what he calls himself, as twisted as that is. Aleister Crowley's picture is on the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's album cover. Notice he's the second from the left on the top row. Ringo Starr called that collection of people pictured on that album, including Crowley, he said those people were, quote, people we like and admire. Paul McCarthy actually called them heroes. On the back cover of the Doors 13 album, Jim Morrison and the other members of the Doors are seen posing beside a bust of Aleister Crowley. Daryl Hall, from the musical duo Hall and Oaks, admitted a fascination with Crowley. He even owns a signed and numbered copy of Crowley's book, Book of the Law. He said, quote, I was fascinated by him because his personality was the late 19th century equivalent of mine. A person brought up in a conventional religious family who did everything he could to outrage the people around him as well as himself. David Bowie referenced Crowley in his song, Quicksand. LSD guru Timothy Leary was also a Crowley enthusiast, as was musical artist Sting and the more recent and radical Marilyn Manson. The reason I'm mentioning these names and the reason I'm mentioning these things is because from a biblical perspective, we are instructed to do that. Ephesians 5 and verse 11, and have no fellowship, a fellowship means agreement, have no agreement with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. To expose means to uncover. To expose means to reveal the true objective nature of someone or something. The New Living Translation reads, Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Evil and darkness describe Satan and satanic practices, and we are to expose those things. But the reason someone as evil as Aleister Crowley has had such widespread acceptance is because most people don't have a clue about Satan. And our objective in this miniature series is to better understand who Satan is and how Satan operates. Even though the existence of Satan is mentioned in seven Old Testament books, and although each author in the New Testament also mentions Satan, there is still some serious misunderstanding as to just who Satan is. Notice there are six common things people believe about Satan, and none of these things are true. Statement one, Satan is not a personal being but instead just a force of evil. Satan is not a personal being, but instead just a force of evil or something less than that. An archetype, a symbol, a grammatical metaphor, or an idea. Most U.S. adults believe that Satan is not an actual being. And 65% of professing evangelical Christians agree that Satan does not exist as an actual person. We disagree, and we're going to address that in a moment. Statement two, Satan is equal to God, thus creating a form of dualism. Satan is equal to God, thus creating a form of dualism that comes from a false religion called Zoroastrianism, 
Zoroastrianism was an ancient Persian religion. Iranians are primarily Persian. And that religion originated some 40 centuries ago. And no one, no one is equal to God. Statement three, Satan resides in and is the ruler of hell. Satan resides in hell and is the ruler of hell. The idea that Satan is now in hell comes from John Milton's epic poem called Paradise Lost. John Milton was a 17th century English poet. Paradise Lost was first published in 1667. It was a collection of 12 books and more than 10,000 poetic lines. That is a phenomenal feat. 10,000 poetic lines. It describes the fall of man. And Satan, or Lucifer, is the first major character in that poem. Lucifer declares, according to Milton, quote, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. So that's where the idea originated. But Satan is not now in hell. Satan presently roams the earth, and he also has limited visitation rights into heaven. Satan is not now a, quote, incarcerated person. According to the New York governor, that's what we are to call convicts instead of inmates, incarcerated persons, because we, we don't want to hurt a felon's feelings. So incarcerated persons. So Satan is not an incarcerated person at this moment. He is not incarcerated until he is chained in the bottomless pit. And that doesn't happen until after the tribulation period and at the beginning of the messianic millennium. The second misconception is that Satan is scheduled to be in charge of hell and that he and his demons will use pitchforks to torment souls forever. That is a total nonsensical and unbiblical statement. Satan will be one of those that are tormented in hell, not the tormentor. Revelation 20 verse 10 is one of my favorite verses. The devil who deceived them, them meaning those people from the tribulation period, Satan is deceiving those inhabitants on earth during that time, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. That describes the final hell, the ultimate permanent hell in the Greek language called Gehenna. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, that is the Antichrist, and the false prophet, that is Antichrist's associate, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they... Those three persons, including the devil, will be tormented, notice, not annihilated, tormented day and night, that's 24-7, forever and ever. And that ought to excite somebody, because that's the end of Satan. The idea of Satan being in charge of hell comes from Dante Alighieri's epic poem called The Divine Comedy. Some of us have heard of that. Dante, as he is most often called, was a 13th century Italian poet, writer, and philosopher. His Divine Comedy is considered one of the most important poems from the Middle Ages and the greatest piece of literature in the Italian language. 
At that time, most poetry was in the Latin language, so only the more educated people could read poetry. Dante chose to create poetry in the Italian language so that it was more accessible to all Italians. Dante's poem describes the brutal descent of sinners through different levels of hell and purgatory and eventually paradise. The poem itself was a strange assortment of myths, Catholic concepts such as purgatory, and also Islamic traditions. Some argue that Dante's medieval perspective on hell was influenced more by the Islamic Quran than the Bible. Dante's literary perspective on hell is illustrated in a famous painting called The Map of Hell from a 15th century Italian artist named Sandro Botticelli. Sandro Botticelli. And this is part uh, of that famous painting. Notice it is a subterranean arrangement of different levels of human suffering consisting of fire, brimstone, sewage, monsters, and Satan himself is in charge. That poem from Dante and that painting from Botticelli are interesting extensions of man's imaginations. But those things do not represent the biblical position on the afterlife. Satan does not rule in hell. Satan will never rule in hell. God is in charge of hell because God created hell. And Revelation 1 and verse 8 states that Jesus himself has the keys to death and hell. A fourth statement. Satan can do whatever he pleases. That is so not true. God and God alone is sovereign. To be a sovereign in an absolute sense means a supreme ruler possessing supreme control. God is in absolute control of this universe and not Satan. Satan cannot do a single thing unless God gives him permission to do that. A classic example of God's sovereign control over Satan is from Job 1. Notice Job 1 starting at verse 6. Now there was a day... When the sons of God, these are angels, and this is in heaven, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. It is apparent God is proud of Job. Verse 9, so Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, meaning a hedge of protection, around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, Satan said, stretch out your hand, and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan's argument was, to God, that Job was good, yes. Job was good, though, because God was good to Job. But remove all those goodies from God, and Satan predicted Job would curse God. Satan was wrong. He was mistaken. 
because of satanic harassment, Job was forced to endure a facsimile of hell on earth, but he never cursed God. Verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Job was literally untouchable until God gave Satan permission to persecute him. So no, Satan cannot do as he pleases. He's not in charge. A fifth statement. Satan is omnipresent. Omnipresent. Omnipresence or omnipresent means being present at all points in this universe and all at the same time. God is omnipresent, not Satan. Satan is limited to being present in one location at a time, and that is a severe limitation. He does, though, oversee a horde of demons, and he uses that demonic network to conduct his operations on earth. A sixth statement, Satan received a ransom from Jesus after his crucifixion. This is a controversial teaching and comes from the earlier theologian Origen. We have mentioned Origen before. We said he, has a, he had a bad hermeneutic. He abandoned the literal principle and allegorized scripture. Um, in short, the ransom theory is that Christ's death was a ransom sacrifice paid to Satan so that Satan could then release us to God because Satan had held us hostage after our sin. There isn't enough time to comment fully on this ransom idea about the atonement, but most conservative evangelical theologians don't believe it is a biblical teaching. Some in the positive confession movement and in the word faith movement do accept this ransom idea. Kenneth Copeland being one of them, but I'm not surprised at anything he believes. The Bible is emphatic. Satan does exist. He is a personal being. And we know that in part because he has the three essential qualities that together constitute someone being a person. We're persons, and we have these qualities, and so does Satan. One, Satan has intellect. Intellect. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 mentions that Satan deceived the first woman into eating the forbidden fruit. And to deceive someone requires a degree of intelligence. Satan is probably the second most intelligent being in the universe, second only to God. Notice then Satan has a will. He has volition. Satan can exercise his prerogative to choose. But that has to be frustrating because as we just mentioned, Satan can only do what God permits him to do. And then third, Satan has emotions. Revelation 12 verse 12 mentions Satan's emotional anger and describes it as wrath. And wrath is the most intense form of anger possible. So putting this all together, Satan possesses a mind, a will, and emotions. So he qualifies as a person. It is true Satan doesn't have a tangible, material form as humans do, but he is still a person. He is an invisible spirit person. Satan is more than a symbol. 
Satan is more than a representation of evil because he's an actual person. He doesn't wear a red suit and have two pointed head, two horns coming out of his head. He doesn't have a long pointed tail. He doesn't have a sulfurous odor and he doesn't haul around a big pitchfork and tell people in hell to shovel coal. Those are common misconceptions. That is not Satan. But Satan is a person just as much as we are persons. He is an invisible spirit person. Satan can best be identified through three basic categories. And those categories are his names, his titles, and his representations. His names, his titles, and his representations. This morning, let's investigate some of his names and then uh, continue on next time. There were some 36 names for Satan, unless I miscounted, mentioned in Scripture. So this is just some of his more often used names. The first name Satan had was Lucifer. Lucifer. Isaiah 14, starting at verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, notice, this is what Lucifer said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation and on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, meaning I will be like God. Notice Isaiah said, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? The basic context of Isaiah 14 is centered on an ancient king from the Babylonian Empire. But Jesus referenced this Isaiah passage in the New Testament in order to describe Satan's fall. In Luke 10, verse 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That is a direct connection to Isaiah 14 and verse 12. So most theologians see this Isaiah 14 text as an indirect reference to Satan himself. And notice that his original name was Lucifer. Did God assign him that name Lucifer or did he name himself Lucifer. No one can be sure about that. The one other biblical reference to Satan's fall is found in Ezekiel 28, verses 14 and 15. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity or sin was found in you. Ezekiel 28 verses 11 through 19 is a strong indictment against the evil king of ancient Tyre because that man was full of pride and greed. But some of the language used in Ezekiel 28 actually describes someone other than a human ruler. So theologians believe this text contains a dual prophetic application comparing the pride of a human ruler from ancient Tyre to Satan's original pride. Ezekiel reads that Satan was created. Remember, God is the creator. He created Satan. 
and he created him in a state of innocence. Satan was created a beautiful creature, and notice in verse 14, it describes him as the anointed cherub. Cherubs were a special classification of angels, an elite classification of angels. Some believe the cherubs were created to guard God's throne. That's the reason, in verse 14, some other translations, such as the English Standard Version and the Holman Christian Standard Bible, read, you, again, a reference to Satan, you were an anointed guardian cherub. And the New Living Translation reads, I ordained and appointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. That means it is possible that Satan, as Lucifer, was created to be a cherub in order to guard God's throne. And then after his rebellion, his name was changed from Lucifer to some other names that are used more often. The name Lucifer means shining one and morning star or day star. This is interesting. The New American Standard Bible translates this verse as, you star of the morning. The Holman Christian Standard Bible calls him the shining morning star. So I have a homework assignment. I want us to answer a question. If the name Lucifer means morning star, and if his name is sometimes translated as morning star, then how do we explain Revelation 22, verse 16, where Jesus said that he is the bright and morning star? This is strange. Lucifer is called the morning star. Jesus himself identifies himself as the morning star. How can Lucifer or Satan and Jesus both be the morning star? Does that mean Satan and Jesus are equals in some sense? How do we explain that? If you know the answer, then send me a text or an email. Or if you're just like super quick on this, see me after the service. That's an interesting question. It's not a trick question. Most people know that in 1851... Mormon pioneers formed the first settlement in what was known at that time as the Nevada Territory. That settlement originated as a trading post called Mormon Station. And the settlement itself became known as Genoa. And some of our families seated here are residents in beautiful Genoa. My general practitioner is a sincere Mormon. And he is a phenomenal doctor. I owe him much. He essentially saved my life. He found melanoma in the earlier stages and was able to extract it and uh, so that uh, it prevented me from having the same disease my father died from, melanoma cancer. And, and so I have much, much respect for him. My favorite NL, NFL coach is Andy Reid, coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, and he is also a committed Mormon. Probably most of us know someone Mormon or have Mormon friends, and I encourage that. Mormons are fantastic people. But the most unfortunate part is that as a religion, Mormonism isn't the same as historic Christianity. And if you don't understand that, then you don't know Mormonism or you don't know Christianity. And some of the difference between us 
is partly illustrated in the Mormon teaching on Lucifer. Mormons want to be considered Christians and even call themselves Christians, but that's not possible. That's not possible because the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints rejects all essential teachings that constitute Christianity. There is no theological commonality between us. There's not some theological agreement. There is literally none. The problem is Mormons use some of the same language evangelical Christians use, but those words mean different things to them than those words mean to us. Same words, different definitions. And one example of that is the Mormon Jesus and Lucifer. Some of you have never heard this before, so listen carefully. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaches that all human beings once had an earlier pre-existence on a Mormon-ruled planet. One more time, sounds like science fiction, it isn't. Mormonism teaches all human beings, including us, non-Mormons, all human beings once had an earlier pre-existence on a Mormon-ruled planet, meaning that before our birth on this earth, we existed earlier on as spirit children on another planet. Mormonism teaches that trillions of planets are scattered throughout the cosmos that are ruled by countless gods who were once human like us. Remember, Mormonism is a polytheistic religion. We're monotheistic. On one of those planets to an unidentified god and one of his goddess wives, a spirit child named Elohim was conceived. That spirit child Elohim was eventually born to human parents on earth who gave him his body. Then through obedience to Mormonism, he proved himself deserving and he was elevated to godhood as was his father before him. Mormons believe that Elohim is their heavenly father. I've heard Mormons pray. I, I have Mormon friends and so uh, I, I've heard them pray. We would start a prayer, often our father in heaven, as Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6. Um, Mormons start off a prayer, Heavenly Father. Their Heavenly Father is not Yahweh, the God of the Judeo-Christian religions. No, their Father is Elohim, this man we have been talking about. And he is now alive, according to them, on a planet near a mysterious star called Kolob. K-O-L-O-B, Kolob. It is said that on that planet, this Elohim, the God of Mormonism, has through endless celestial sex, remember, on these planets ruled by these Mormon gods, they have a vast number of Mormon wives, spirit wives. And through endless celestial sex, he produced billions of spirit children. Mormonism teaches that two of his oldest spiritual children were Jesus and Lucifer. That means before Jesus was born at Bethlehem, he had earlier existed as a spirit child conceived to the Mormon god Elohim on this strange planet, and one of his spirit brothers was Lucifer. So Mormonism teaches that Jesus and Lucifer originated as brothers. 
And that's one reason the Mormon Jesus is not the biblical Jesus, Lucifer is not the biblical Lucifer, and Mormonism is not biblical Christianity. Based on a statement from Revelation 12, verse 4, most theologians teach that Lucifer convinced one-third of the original angel population to join him in his original rebellion against God. And those angels that assisted Satan in that original insubordination are called fallen angels. Fallen because God removed them from heaven. And fallen angels are the same as demons. Remember, one-third of the angel population consists of these fallen demonic angels, but two-thirds of the angels are faithful angels, those angels that have remained faithful to God. The question is, can some of those two-thirds faithful angels fall like the one-third did earlier on? And the answer is no. It is no because 1 Timothy 5, verse 21, calls those faithful angels the elect angels. The elect angels, and the fact those angels are elect, means that through the means of divine election, God permanently confirmed the commitment of those angels to be faithful to Him. And so those angels cannot fall. So that means good angels outnumber bad angels two to one. So we still win. But the point is, Satan's original name was Lucifer. I should mention there are antagonists to Christianity that even call themselves Luciferians. One of the Luciferians I read argues that Satan is the embodiment of intelligence and critical thought, and he stands against the dogma of God and against all other dogmas. This Luciferian's basic reaction against God was his own insistence on self-government. He essentially paraphrased Crowley's philosophy because he said, quote, I want to remind you that you are all popes. You are all your own highest authority. No one has authority over you. You are your own authority. Join me and join Lucifer in fighting God. That is the same arrogant autonomous attitude Lucifer had in his original rebellion as against God. Remember from Isaiah 14 that five times Lucifer said, I will, I will, I will. Lucifer wanted to remove God from off his throne and insert himself there. Lucifer wanted to be the God of this universe. Lucifer didn't want to continue to submit to God's authoritative rule. He wanted to govern himself, so he rebelled against God. The next name is Satan. Satan, this particular name, Satan, is used 52 times in Scripture and comes from a Hebrew word that means adversarial. Adversarial, or one who opposes or acts against someone or something else. In a direct sense, Satan opposes God. And then in an indirect sense, Satan opposes all that God considers his own. And that includes those faithful angels, and us as Christians. Lord Horatio Nelson is said to have been Britain's greatest naval hero. Historians have recorded that as his fleet of ships was going into battle, some of his men started fighting among themselves. He stopped the fighting and then calling out the names of those men that were fighting, Nelson pointed toward the approaching ships off in the distance, and he said, Gentlemen, 
There is the enemy. Meaning we aren't the enemy. We shouldn't fight among ourselves. There is the enemy. Please understand that our spiritual opponent is not some pompous, arrogant, irreligious whack job down the street that finds our Christianity irritating to him. He might badmouth us, but he's not the opposition. He's just a difficult and stubborn part of the mission field. It is Satan himself that is the opposition. Satan is the enemy. Ephesians 6 verse 12, For we do not wrestle. Wrestle was an ancient word used to describe brutal hand-to-hand combat, fighting to the death. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, meaning our opponent isn't human per se, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The four designations mentioned in this verse are a reference to the different strata of satanic and demonic forces that are positioned to war against us. Satan himself is the ultimate arch enemy of Jesus Christ and Christians. Most people have heard about the church of Satan. Anton Cezandor LeVay founded that church at the black house, and it was an all-black house. He founded the church in San Francisco on April 30th, 1966. And he remained its high priest until he died in 1997. Piece of trivia. Anton had three children. Carla, his oldest, then Zena, and he had a son he actually named Satan. Satan Xerxes Karnacki LeVay. Naming a child Satan is child abuse. After Anton died, there was an internal struggle over control of the church, and then a woman named Blanche Barton became the church's high priest, priestess, and she succeeded Anton. She then moved the church to a neighborhood in New York City, in Manhattan, actually called Hell's Kitchen. There's a region there, a neighborhood named Hell's Kitchen. She felt that was an appropriate place to take the church of Satan. So she moved it there. In 2001, she stepped down and Peter Gilmore was assigned to the position of high priest, a position he holds to this day. In 1969, high priest LeVay published the Satanic Bible. It is the central religious text of LeVayan Satanism. It was the first organized church in modern times to be devoted to the figure of Satan and to teach a coherent satanic discourse. It is interesting to me that the original church of Satan, Anton founded, insists that its members do not believe in an actual literal Satan. This is the church of Satan, but the members do not believe in an actual personal being, a literal being called Satan. But then those same members pray to Satan. Those same members perform rituals and ceremonies in Satan's name. That, that's so strange because these self-professed Satanists are committing themselves to someone the group doesn't believe actually exists. So what does this mantra, hail Satan, mean if there is no Satan? True Satanists, though, do pledge allegiance 
to a Satan we would understand as the biblical Satan. <laughs> That's the reason another group called the Temple of Satan consider Anton's brand of Satanism to be an artificial Satanism, a pseudo or false Satanism because his church was created in part to generate media attention and it succeeded at doing that. <laughs> High priest LaVey performed the first public satanic marriage. He also performed the first public recorded satanic baptism, whatever that means. He baptized his daughter Zena. He also performed the first public satanic funeral. Anton LaVey received international attention for his organization. Anton was the subject of articles in popular magazines such as Look, Time, McCall's, and Newsweek. He was interviewed on talk shows such as The Tonight Show and Donahue. He also acted in numerous movies. His satanic Bible was translated into different languages and became a bestseller. To date, it has sold more than a million copies. Anton attracted the rich and famous to Satanism. Sammy Davis Jr., member of the Rat Pack, joined his church and advanced to, be, to become a warlock before he figured it out and left the church. Actress Jane Manfield became a high priestess in the San Francisco Church of Satan. She died in that state. Heavy metal band frontman named King Diamond became a Satanist. Musician Marilyn Manson is a card-carrying member of that church. Serial murderer Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, remember him, was a devotee to Anton LaVey and Satanism. Remember, the Church of Satan denies Satan's actual existence. And Anton's ultimate successor, High Priest Gilmore, made this statement, quote, Satanism begins with atheism. We begin with the universe, and it's indifferent. There's no God, there's no devil, and no one cares. But other satanic groups disagree. The Temple of Satan published an article that read, quote, The bottom line is that an ideology calling itself Satanism that doesn't believe in Satan, the Antichrist, hell or demons, doesn't practice real black magic, embraces the rationalism and secularism of the Enlightenment cult, and doesn't have an agenda past sex, drugs, and rock and roll, is for us not Satanism at all. Rather, it is a counterfeit which the temple of Satan strongly opposes. We give Anton LaVey due credit for his sense of style, his boldness, and his psychological and social insights, but ultimately his project failed because it denied the very source of all satanic power, that is, Lord Satan himself. Those are true Satanists. So if Satanists believe, as the Satanic Temple believes, believes in a Satan as Christians understand Satan, or if some self-professed Satanists, such as Anton LaVey, see Satan as just a fictitious image, it doesn't matter so much because the end result is the same. In both cases, both satanic groups have made a deliberate, conscious decision not to worship God and to instead worship an illegitimate alternative. In the satanic Bible, Anton 
includes nine satanic statements. The number one statement is this. Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. Satan represents indulgence instead of abstinence. That is the essence of all forms of Satanism. Satanism is the religion of self. That is the common denominator. If it's a form of religious Satanism, also called theistic Satanism or traditional Satanism, or if it's Anton's atheistic Satanism, it doesn't matter. All professing Satanists worship self. And in doing that are enslaved to Satan. And unless God's grace intercepts them and brings them to salvation, then all Satanists face an eternal hell. It's that simple. The third name is devil. Devil. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 is familiar. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Meaning there's a form of anger that is acceptable and righteous. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 27, nor give place to the devil. The inference is that sustained anger gives the devil an advantage and a toehold into us. The name devil is mentioned 35 times in the New Testament and comes from the Greek word diabolos. We get our word diabolical from diabolos. It's interesting how often culture uses the word devil. There's devil foods, devil's food cake. Christians should eat angel's food cake. <laughs> There's Tampa Bay's professional baseball team called the Devil Rays. There's a small vacuum cleaner called the Dirt Devil. And then there's deviled eggs and the Tasmanian Devil. And then people talk about playing the devil's advocate. And there was a 2006 movie called The Devil Wears Prada, and on and on and on. The name devil means someone that slanders. A slanderer. And notice the definition. Slander is a verbalized, meaning something spoken, a verbalized false and malicious statement intended to damage someone's reputation. I differentiate between slander and libel. Libel is a written and sometimes published false and malicious statement intended to damage someone's reputation. Remember, if we pass on damaging information about someone that is not 100% accurate in all parts, then we have essentially slandered that person. And we are doing the exact same thing the devil does to us because he slanders us to God. We are never more like the devil himself than when we misrepresent and slander someone. That's the reason I issued from this pulpit a public apology this past month because I didn't want to be guilty of slander. In conclusion, this is a one-minute video clip. This comes from Pensacola, Florida and from a city council meeting there where a satanic member, a satanic temple member, gave a satanic invitation to open that meeting. And this is happening across the nation. There were, because word had gotten out, this would happen, there were a large number of Christians in the audience protesting that action. Um, in fact, the proceedings had to be stopped, some had to be escorted out. Uh, but in, in this room, these people are, 
are heard and seen praying aloud and reciting the Lord's Prayer. The chairman of the council said, you can do that, but please keep your voices to a minimum so that this man's invocation can be heard. So the Christians can be heard in the background. He chose to sing his invocation. This is just one minute in length. Watch this. Holding fast only to that which is demonstrably true, let us stand firm against any and all arbitrary authority that threatens the personal sovereignty of one or all. That which will not bend must break and that which is destroyed by truth should never be spared. It's demise. It is done. In 1972, prolific author Hal Lindsey, a prophetical expert, published a book entitled, Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth. And I agree, he is. Let's bow our heads. Father, we realize that we're in a war for the souls of men. Satan is alive and well on this earth. And he's ramped up his um, attacks against the church and against all those who profess the name of Christ. It is apparent that persecution is here and more is coming. But help us to remember that greater is he who is in us, Jesus himself, than he who is in the world, Satan. He is a defeated foe. We know that. You said that. Because of your son's death on the cross, his burial and resurrection, we know that Satan ultimately will be incarcerated in Gehenna where he will cease to ever, ever be a problem again. Father, I just thank you that we have hope in you and your son Jesus. And no matter what happens, we can stand strong in his might. We can wear that spiritual armor and we can defeat Satan's snares and schemes, and strategies, and tactics. Father, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know whose side they're on, they haven't made that determination to follow Jesus. They don't know that they're a Christian, but they want to know. They want to be forgiven. I pray that you would convince them to see me after this service, and we can set up an appointment soon where I can share with them about how much you love them and want to save them, and I pray that they will do that and be receptive to the gospel. So we commit this to you. I just pray that this has been informative and helpful and uh, because we need to understand our enemy. And I thank you for your word and it, its comments on this subject. And I thank you in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen, amen. and amen.